are listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. This episode is the third in a series NYSAC has produced that chronicles the county response to COVID-19. Mark Molinaro, Dutchess County Executive and President of the New York State County Executives Association, provides the following introduction for this episode. On Tuesday, June 15th, Governor Cuomo announced that with 70% of adults having received at least one dose of vaccine, New York State would immediately begin lifting the majority of its remaining COVID restrictions. With this announcement, New York concludes one of the most economically disruptive periods in modern history. Not since the rationing and price controls during World War II has America been subjected to such drastic economic restrictions. Almost overnight, businesses, most of them small, were forced to close or dramatically reduce their capacity, threatening the livelihoods of millions of New Yorkers. As businesses suffered, so did counties, who rely on sales tax revenue to fund the very programs and services that were now needed more than ever. It fell to New York's county executives to budget for the unknown, make tough choices to keep government functioning and essential services flowing, and to support local businesses as they struggled to comply with COVID restrictions and keep the lights on. Last October, New York's county executives commissioned a book that would detail and document the county response during this pandemic so that future generations of leaders could study and learn from the successes and missteps made in response to this pandemic. Each county executive submitted a written or oral history of what happened in their county, and it is their voices that you will hear in today's podcast. In this episode, we'll hear about the economic impacts of the pandemic on New York's counties and how county executives work to manage the economic disaster in their communities and lead the local recovery. With that, I present episode three of our county leadership during the COVID pandemic series. Onondaga County Executive Ryan McMahon details measures the county took to mitigate the economic impact from COVID-19 and describes collaboration that took place throughout the state. When you look at the impact of COVID, we, we, we talk about the public health impacts, uh, obviously people getting sick, the loss of life. Uh, now we're dealing with uh, other public health impacts that we knew would happen uh, related to the opioid crisis, domestic violence, child abuse. Uh, there's also the economic impacts, people losing their jobs, uh, our hospitality industry uh, still kind of in paralysis, uh, being uh, active at 50%. And then it's our government, really, and our government's been fighting this. And our government in Onondaga County uh, really uh, is in one of the most unique situations out of any government in, in, in the whole country, because uh, we're one of eight communities between 450,000 and half a million people. And if we were uh, at half a million people, we would have received over $100 million of CARES Act funding. Uh, and we weren't, so we didn't. Yet we still had the same problems that these communities had because we have a big city. Uh, we have urban neighborhoods, suburban neighborhoods, rural neighborhoods. And in addition to that, because we had success and we never let our positive infection rates go out, we never garnered the attention of the resources from the state government. So from a standpoint of fighting the virus, we were really on our own from a resource standpoint. And then uh, 
we ended up seeing what we knew would happen. Uh, in March, we shut down. In March, you're still getting February sales tax payments where we had a thriving economy. Uh, then in April, we're pretty much completely shut down. Uh, and then in May, and you start getting sales tax payments from March, from April, from May, and we're losing uh, millions of dollars. Uh, and uh, besides losing millions of dollars of sales tax, your room occupancy tax is essentially gone. Uh, so uh, we had to make cuts and we made cuts in March to our 103 lines, our part-time employee, employee lines. We took austerity measures. Uh, we eventually did an early retirement incentive. Uh, we went back and offered it a second time in the process. Uh, we eventually had to go and do furloughs, uh, some voluntary, uh, some non-voluntary furloughs. And we did have a, a minimum amount of layoffs that just won't be positions we just can't afford going into 2021. So when you look at the overall economic impact uh, in our community, uh, in our county government, our, our uh, you know we're looking at somewhere between 70 to 80 million dollars in 2020, and that will continue in 2021 as we prepare our next budget. And so each time as county executives, we're sharing information with each other about the virus, what we're seeing impacting our community, but also what ideas do we have uh, and uh, how we can get the economy going again, get people spending money, uh, get money back in people's paychecks and start to kind of learn how to live with this virus in a safe way. Uh, but those conversations were happening daily in our regional control room calls. They were happening daily uh, with myself and other members of the governor's team uh, making our case uh, on, on why it makes sense to go there, eventually opening up churches, um, things of this nature, opening up malls. These were all things that uh, there were lots and lots of conversations and it's sometimes tough conversations uh, and frustrated conversations, uh, but that's part of the process. I think we, we, did, we didn't know how, how deep the losses would be. County Executive Mark Molinaro on providing services with uncertain financial resources. Um, and so early on, uh, we knew once the economy closed down, um, there were two realities. We were going to spend money and we weren't going to bring in any money. And um, the cost of um, building up test sites and respond, I mean, everything from, you know, would we have transportation for those who are need, need to get to food, to get to the hospital, get to the test sites? Would we have test sites? Would there be tents? Do they, do they need air conditioning? Would they be heated? You know, all the things, body bags and, 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 and refrigerated cars and um, the sheriff's office needing to provide support. Other places were closing homeless shelters. We expanded ours and opened up temporary home, uh, homeless shelter and then staffed it with resources that we weren't sure we were going to have. I mean, honestly, um, I, I don't think in an emergency you can make decisions based on, well, we just may not have the dollars come in. So, so we made the right choices um, responsibly to meet the need and react. Um, um, I, I will say that we, I think that we, we executed um, as, as well as one could, could expect. Um, and, and little by little, uh, the, uh, the, the, you know, the floor came out from under us and, and, uh, the loss of sales tax, um, was always going to be the thing, right? Assess valuation was going to be stable for 2020. We were going to get our property taxes. Um, but the other, uh, the one thing we had no control over was the massive loss of the sales tax revenue. And we were prepared for the worst. I think we had estimated it could be as bad as a $75 million loss. Um, thankfully, 
uh, we prepared for the worst uh, and we didn't do as badly. It's still un, uh, untenable. I mean, it's just a, um, you, you, you know, you don't get the luxury in government to say, well, we're not going to do that today. So there's certain things we have to do, uh, uh, services we have to provide. And uh, the, um, the loss of sales tax uh, made it significantly difficult. Add to that the uncertainty of federal and state assistance, whether it's new aid coming in or the existing uh, resource that we get from the state uh, or new costs uh, and cuts from the state, uh, not knowing how we were going to, how we're going to react to that uh, and not, not knowing what it would be is, the, is really the, the biggest challenge. And, and so we're weathering that storm. These first-person accounts that you're listening to that document the COVID-19 pandemic were instrumental in the writing of Our Darkest Hours, New York County Leadership, and the COVID pandemic. County Executive Ed Day discusses cost-saving restrictions made in Rockland County with author Peter Golden. You know, we asked some simple questions. We said, for example, we recognize our sales tax revenues are dropping, which county governments are very reliant upon. But we realized that with things that we're not getting because of the COVID crisis. So I asked the question, what are we not doing because of the COVID crisis? Because there has to be, there has to be expenses right, right. to what we're not doing. Right. We ended up saving $8 million uh, based upon that tra the travel we did on that. Well, we weren't out as much. We weren't doing uh, public events. We weren't, all the things right. we would normally be doing on a regular basis, we were not doing them now. So it was money not spent. So between that and looking at positions that we did not need at the time, we abolished some vacant positions. We saved almost $10 million. Right. Um, but even that was enough. Come July, we found out that the July numbers for sales tax revenue were down 50%. That is catastrophic. There's what no what do you rely on? Do you have malls in Rockland County? Aren't there malls there? Oh, we, um, well, the, well, the number one, the num we have, we have uh, the Palisade Center Mall, right. uh, which obviously was taking a hit because of the, of the coronavirus. Right. We have the, Nanuet, the shops at Nanuet. Uh, but our main drivers for sales tax revenue are car sales and um, restaurants. Okay. Those are our main drivers. But when, basically, we had the potential of a fiscal tsunami here. And, and everybody realized there were projections of $107 million deficit from NISAC over two years, 21 and 20, uh, into 22. Out of a total budget, what's your total budget? It's a little over $700 million, roughly. So that's a significant, a significant hit. So um, what we did is we... we did everything we possibly could do. And we looked at, we met with the legislature, we, we charted out a course of action um, to, to, to take, this was in August, my proposed budget goes to them on October 1st. I also spoke to all of my colleagues in the Mid-Hudson region, the other county execs. We all recognized that we had various degrees of, 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 of experience, of skills, of backgrounds. And if we worked together, we would be able to maybe you know mitigate the damage. What happened, the long story short of this was, um, Things started to moderate a little bit, but if not for those actions taken early, we would not have been able to come in with a new budget for 2021 that raised taxes less than 1%, property taxes. Right. And I'm very proud to say on behalf of my colleagues in the Mid-Hudson region, all of the Mid-Hudson region county governments came in below the property tax cap during a time when everybody expected significant property tax increases. We'll be right back to the episode after this brief message from our sponsor, There's nothing that taxpayers like to hear more than that we were able to save them one or two million dollars by investing their tax money 
prudently. We needed a company that could serve both rural entities of the state, but also urban ones. And so all 57 counties could be served. Three plus one was that vehicle to get that done. Uh, there's nobody like them, and it's a truly a unique program that no other company or service can provide. Prior to this relationship, we earned a little less than $300,000 per fiscal year. We're now earning that per month. Chemung County Executive Chris Moss recalls the loss of revenue across the board as the pandemic took hold in the state. You know, you know, like other counties, our sales tax revenue, you know, was down. Our hotel motel obviously was severely down. Gambling revenue because we share uh, the revenue with a couple of different casinos uh, in the southern tier. So all the revenue was down. So we made uh, massive cuts like other counties did. I mean, we left over 120 positions vacant. Um, we took money from all 40 departments uh, in the 2020 budget. Uh, we, we, you know, we cut their numbers down. Uh, we canceled a couple road projects. Uh, no dump trucks for DPW this year. So I mean, we we cut to the area of tried to cut to you know eight to ten million dollars, hoping that that would be enough to cover. Among issues brought on by COVID closures was a concern for local businesses. Rensselaer County Executive Steve McLaughlin describes the fears of business owners in the capital region. The other part that was tough to deal with was just the stories of businesses that were failing, people that put everything on the line uh, and, and were being shut down and couldn't move forward. And the, the fear that you would see in their eyes as they're worried about how am I going to feed my kids? Things like that were, were tough and a lot of, uh, you know, tossing and turning at night about how to try to get through this in the most common sense way, um, balancing, keeping everybody safe with understanding uh, that the economy is super important as well. And those two have to, there has to be some, some ability to do, to do both, keep people safe and keep your economy moving because without an economy, many, many, many bad things can and will happen. While implementing safety measures and handling financial challenges, Broome County Executive Jason Garner recounts also handling the beginning stages of planning for eventual reopening. So while we're working to protect the public health, while we're you know, making sure that people have the PPE that they needed, working with our hospitals, working with our nursing homes, educating people about the virus, providing the regular updates that people really needed, we knew that our businesses were, were shut down and this, this had caused a, a great effect on our economy, but really you know, hurt people who were now laid off. And we knew that at some point um, there was gonna be a process for businesses to reopen, but they were gonna have to reopen in, in a very, very uh, different way. They were gonna have to reopen making sure that they had um, you know, proper sanitization every day, that they had the proper PPE, that they were socially distancing, especially at restaurants and other places where people congregate. Um, they had to kind of submit reopening plans and there was a process for that. And so one of the things that the state would do is they would have um, control room calls every day with county executives in our region. And we would, you know, ask questions and, and get the information that we needed as the state started to roll out a phased in reopening plan. 
And so we were able to actually become one of the first counties to reopen. The Southern Tier region was the first region to reopen because our numbers were so good the first few months of, the, of this crisis. Uh, the reopening plan was, was a phase in approach based on the, uh, the health data of each of the Southern Tier regions. So, um, you know, we worked really well together, uh, our whole region. Uh, I met county executives that I, uh, you know, from a couple counties over that I had heard of but I never actually spoken to on a regular basis. And they became uh, friends of mine, allies of mine, um, people that we could bounce ideas off of and learn from each other as we went through this crisis and, and also as we went through this reopening as well. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm really proud that my office was able to do is as we went through each phase, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, all the different types of industries that opened had a tremendous amount of questions about what they had to do, when they could do it, where could they get PPE, you know, just there was a lot of questions about how, um, you know, what, what they had to do. And I had a number of people in my office that their only job was to get that information and then to respond to the hundreds if not thousands of phone calls and emails, Facebook messages that businesses had. Um, I think one of the um, when uh, one of the things that we did is when we did our first phase of reopening, we actually had a, a several Zoom calls about the reopening process for our local businesses. That each of the phone calls, I think, had hundreds of local business owners on the call, where we could educate them about how they need to reopen, the things that they needed to do, the guidance that we were hearing from the state. And I think this is very helpful as we were able to, to reopen our economy in a, in a way that was uh, you know, responsive enough to get businesses opened up, but also do it in a, in a safe way. And I, we, we've done a pretty good job of that. I think in the first few months of this crisis, our unemployment rate was well over 15%, which is, you know, it, it was like right at 4% before this crisis happened. And we've actually been able to open up just about all of our businesses, um, certainly with some restriction capacity, but we've been able to open up most of our businesses. The unemployment rate has gone from uh, over 15% to right around 5.5%. We're still working to get that number down to where it was before the pandemic started, but I think that's a testament to our ability to work with businesses and educate our businesses on, on what they need to do to safely Reopen. County Executive Newhouse looks back on budgetary concerns in Orange County and reflects on lessons learned to help lead throughout the end of the pandemic and into future crises. Orange County government, we did more with less. We had to do a budget, right? So our budget process was in the middle of this crisis where we were seeing sales tax numbers really uh, impacted by this. So we've have, we have less employees than we had in 2014. Uh, close to 177 at this point. We also did, uh, we also have vacancies that we use to help balance a budget that generates our fund balance. Many counties right now are in crisis mode because they didn't have fund balance available this year and they also didn't have means of generating that. One of the ways that we generate fund balance is by keeping positions open but not filling them. In addition to that, during the middle of the crisis, 64 county employees took early retirement, which saved us $2 million. In, in addition to that, we had 79 employees that took furloughs. Now that's the county money,
but it had a more important role. The furloughs allowed parents that had to be home with their kids because schools were closed to be able to stay home with them. It also allowed employees who had elderly or sick family members or maybe vulnerable family members stay home and care for them. Going forward through this pandemic, if it rises up again or future pandemic, we need to find a way to keep the economy going, not completely shut it down. There are safe ways to keep it going on. Make changes and don't repeat mistakes. We've seen some organizations, whether it be school districts or economic development facets of our community that were treated unfairly compared to their peers. So we need to make sure that every school district is treated the same. Every aspect of the society is treated the same. Prepare and drill. One of our success stories I'm broadcasting now from the 911 center. We drill at least twice a year with all hands on deck for any type of apocalypse, terrorist attacks, school attacks, where you have school shootings, uh, a nuclear uh, meltdown at a power plant, any type of crisis that could happen here, we have drilled for and continue to drill for it here, and that has sharpened our spear. We listen to everybody in the room when we make decisions. So it's not just the leadership. The people that are in a room make recommendations, and then we move, I, as the county executive, along with our command staff, accept those, those recommendations. Some are utilized, some are not, and then we move together with a, with a uh, philosophy. So the best thing that I would say that we can do is A, treat everybody fairly, B, uh, continue to practice and drill for the, uh, the Armageddon or whatever we don't foresee, and at the same time, listen to people in the room, especially uh, the people that are on the front lines that are dealing with the pandemic and how we can move forward with it. So uh, those are some of the summaries that we have here in Orange County. I'm proud of what we've done here, uh, but I'm also more proud to tell the story so we can make sure next time this happens, we're more prepared. The pandemic, as we've come to experience it in New York, appears to be coming to an end. Businesses are in the process of fully reopening and many of our residents are returning to life as it used to be. Over the last three episodes, we've revisited the initial outbreak, the early response, and how counties manage the economic fallout and eventual reopening. In the coming weeks, we'll be releasing the final episode of this series in which we'll discuss the lessons learned during these darkest hours and how counties have emerged from this unparalleled crisis stronger and ready to tackle the next crisis together. On behalf of NISAC and the New York State County Executives Association, thank you for listening to this special episode of County Conversations. Thanks again for listening, and be safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of County Conversations. Our Darkest Hours, New York County Leadership and the COVID Pandemic is currently available for order from Archway Publishing, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Along with some of the riveting first-person accounts you've heard in this series, the book also analyzes the public policy behind the fractured federal and state response to the pandemic and explores the large-picture economic impact of New York on pause. For more information on the book, visit NYSAC's website.